Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Here we go again, and that's what it feels like, because we we go through this cycle, it seems, over and over again. In fact, you can go back. There was a a story dug up recently from the New York Times, 1976. That's how far back this goes. There was a video game, one of the stand-up video games you'd find at an arcade, called Death Race. And I, go Google it, because it's, it's actually funny to look at it now, because you can imagine what video games looked like in 1976. The idea was you kind of drove this car around and you ran over like these zombie kind of creatures. There was a huge outcry at the time. This was very controversial. What are we teaching people? What's going to happen after people go play this game? Well, as it turned out, nothing. And we've been learning that ever since, that, that video games don't cause violence. Video games certainly don't cause mass shootings. And yet that seems to be when it comes up. Following the Sandy Hook massacre, there was some suggestion that Adam Lanza was into violent video games. Turns out he wasn't. Dance Dance Revolution was his game of choice. Now, it's come up again. There's been some suggestion that Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland, Florida school shooter, was really into video games or violent video games. So that's kind of become the focal point. It's a convenient scapegoat, I think, because a lot of politicians, they don't like these games, think they're immoral. So who cares whether or not the evidence is credible to finding a link to actual violence? These games won't be missed anyway. So Donald Trump yesterday at the White House, in between these bombshell announcements on tariffs in North Korea, uh, convened a meeting involving uh, video game industry representatives, some lawmakers, and some prominent critics of video games to talk about what to do about this scourge yet again. So what does the evidence tell us about video games and their connection to actual real-world violence? Chris Ferguson is a professor of psychology at Stetson University. He's extensively studied how video games affect violence. He joins us on the line here today. Professor Ferguson, great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me on today. I appreciate it. I mean, it's almost more of a political question, but what, what do you think it is that, that in the aftermath of these mass shootings that, that all of a sudden we get back on this debate? Well, yeah, I think, you know, part of it is certainly political, you know, particularly in the United States. Um, I mean, one of the things that obviously came out regarding the meeting yesterday at the White House was just the attendees, uh, you know. And other than the industry, uh, the other attendees were either Republican, mostly NRA-supported politicians, or uh, mostly what I would describe as being right-wing moral crusaders. There, there actually were no scholars uh, who were invited uh, to the meeting, so nobody who actually knew anything about video game violence research was, was included in this meeting. So, I mean, I, I think it does raise this you know, political question of, is this, is this something that the political right in the United States is using, uh, at least right now, that they're using to sort of distract the country from issues related to gun control and things that you know, Republicans, you know, don't 
talk about. But, but of course, you know, historically, you know, you know, there's been kind of like a bipartisan concern about, you know, uh, video game violence uh, going back really three decades um, yeah. or so. And, um, you know, the, the panics over video games largely mirror other panics we've had in society over new media and technology that, that really quite literally stretch all the way back to the ancient Athenians when they were, there were reports of them worrying about Greek plays. Uh, but in the 20th century, we see the same thing over comic books in the 1950s and rock music in the 1980s and, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons around the same time. And it, and it just seems to be, you know, whenever there's a you know, new form of media, a new technology, there are certain segments of society, uh, particularly older adults, you know, tend to blame that new technology or new media on perceived social problems, whether they're real uh, or imagined. So, I mean, I think really the, the interesting thing that comes out of the meeting yesterday at the White House is that it, it was very clearly not a database meeting because there was nobody there who do anything about the data. Uh, so I, I think it is very much, you know, kind of a, a, a political scapegoat, if you will, that distracts us from talking about real causes of violence. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because I think there's an underlying sort of pure, puritanical or moralistic impulse when it comes to video games, that these are a corrupting influence on children. And even if the, the case to linking it to violence is, is weak or shaky, these games wouldn't be missed anyway. Yeah, I think so. I mean, and that's where you're going to think of, like, who is the audience for this kind of a message? And, you know, and typically, you know, not to paint with too broad of a brush, but, you know, we see this in surveys of parents and the general public and even scholars and clinicians that there's very clearly a correlation between age and negative attitudes towards uh, video games. So this is something that's very clearly marketing towards an older generation uh, of individuals. And, and the other thing that's interesting for a lot of these surveys, too, is it also tends to be people who don't like kids who don't like video games. Uh, so there's a very strong relationship between negative attitudes towards youth themselves and thinking they're all narcissistic or, you know, delinquent or disrespectful um, and having negative attitudes towards, you know, uh, to, towards video games. So kind of like that stereotype of like, you know, the old guy shaking his cane at kids walking across the, the street. I mean, that kind of actually bears itself out to some extent right. um, in a lot of the actual science about this. And that's why, you know, uh, panics about media tend to eventually die off uh it's quite literally in, in a sense is eventually that audience you know ages out and, and 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 is gone and that's why you know we don't really think for the most part anymore the ozzy osborne or judas priest caused suicide in the 1980s although that was a big deal back then but now we're talking about 13 reasons why in much the same way you know so it's really just kind of a cyclical pattern that we see and we really struggle to learn from history uh, in that sense it seems so now i mean in, in the case of the parkland shooting uh, it does appear as though the gunman nicholas cruz um not only having violent and, and antisocial tendencies did seem to have an obsession with video games and violent video games in particular so this is where we kind of get into the evidence and in this case maybe it's a question mm -hmm. of causation do those tendencies lead to a video game obsession or does the obsession lead to those tendencies. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just to be uh, a little bit cautious, we actually don't officially know anything about uh, Nicholas Cruz yet in terms of his uh, video game playing habits. And, and the reason I right. point that out is uh, in, in 2012, 2013, after the Sandy Hook shooting, we, we got, you know, numerous news reports of uh, the shooter being obsessed with Call of Duty and similar games. And it actually turned out most of those were untrue, sort of interestingly enough. Uh, in the official investigation report, which came out 11 months later, it turned out that the shooter at Sandy Hook 
was mostly interested in nonviolent video games. He mostly played Dance Dance Revolution of all things. That's right. Um, yeah. You know, so sometimes even some of these mass shooting cases don't really work out. Now, odds are, you know, the Parkland shooting, the perpetrator was a 19-year-old male. Odds are he did play violent video games simply because, you know, some, somewhere close to 90% of males in that age category play violent video games at least occasionally. So, it's, you know, it's, it's a safe bet to make. Uh, that he did play some violent video games, um, but uh, but these are the thing about some of the evidence on mass shooters, and even if you kind of restrict that to school shooters, who really are the youngest category of mass homicide perpetrators, um, you know the Secret Service did a report, which is kind of old now, went back to 2002, but they actually looked at the school shooters they had at that time, and uh, found that they actually tended to consume less violent video games and less violent media than. Uh, you know, other males of their age category. So this kind of correlation we have, you know, in the public mind of there being a kind of a, a link between mass shootings and uh, and video games is very much an illusion. You know, it, it's, it's what we call confirmation bias. We kind of pay attention to the cases that seem to fit that narrative and ignore the cases that don't. So we don't really remember that Virginia Tech and Sandy Hook, it turned out they weren't really gamers. And we don't pay attention to, like, the Las Vegas shooter, you know, from October, who was a 50-something-year-old male. We just don't talk about video games at all um, when the perpetrator is an older male. So it, it allows us to maintain that sense of a correlation, even if it doesn't impact this. And, and as you alluded to, and I think it's important in this context, it's not as though we don't have evidence. In fact, we have an abundance of evidence on this very question. And, and we've been studying this, I guess, now literally for decades, haven't we? Yeah, the, the, the research in this area, you know, stretches back to the 1980s. And, and, it, and so, so it's kind of funny that, you know, in a way we were, we're really were having the same debate. Uh, back even in the early 80s. And uh, then when people were researching violent video games, they were researching Pac-Man and, you know, Zaxxon and, and you know, Space Invaders and games like that, you know, thinking of those as being, you know, violent video games. And it was very much the same kind of debate going back and forth then of, you know, would Space Invaders cause, you know, kids to engage in delinquent acts and violence and, and uh, stuff like that. So it's really kind of an, an ongoing um, you know, debate. But, but yeah, I mean, at this point, you know, we do have these, you know, three or so decades of, uh, of research and hundreds of studies. And, uh, and it really doesn't matter, like, how you cut the onion, that from different pools of data, it all converges on the same thing, is that, you know, if we're really serious about issues of violence in society, uh, gun violence and mass shootings, that there is no evidence to suggest that violent video games or other media plays any causal role um, in these activities. You know, we know this from studies of youth and following them over time and looking to see which kids engage in more violent crimes. Uh, we know this by looking at mass shooters. We can look at cross-national comparisons. So the countries that consume more video games than we do tend to be among the most peaceful. Uh, and usually South Korea and, and the Netherlands uh, tend to stand out in that respect. Um, and then even in the U.S., you know, as our consumption of violent video games has skyrocketed, it has skyrocketed over the last few decades. There's no doubt about that. But uh, you, know, you know, there is a correlation between violent video game playing in society and youth violence. It's just in the wrong direction. Uh, youth violence has plummeted by over 80 uh, percent in the last 25 years. Um, you know, so it doesn't, you know, whichever pool of data you look at, uh, they all converge on basically the same conclusion. And that is that this is the wrong thing to think about if we're serious about tackling issues of uh, violence in our society. Well, and I mean, it's interesting because I, I don't think anyone's arguing that video games caused 
the decline in, in youth violence. I mean, it's obviously a compelling data point if we're going to try to argue that the games mm-hmm. are causing violence. But, I mean, is there something to it? Is it possible that, that for some who might be inclined towards violence that this can be some kind of a, you know, a safer outlet for them? Yeah, that's another you know question that's been kind of uh, debated you know for decades uh, you know as well. And yeah, it, it's absolutely true as you say that when we have correlational data, we always have to be you know, cautious about it. Uh, I think there are some famous examples like the uh, you know the number of Nicholas Cruz movies, um, uh, sorry, Nicholas Cage movies, and uh, swimming pool deaths in the United States are correlated pretty highly. So, right. uh, so obviously you can get some kind of ridiculous correlations that you know just happen by chance. Um, what's interesting about that is there have been a couple of scholars, and uh, Patrick Markey at Villanova University is one, and, and Scott Cunningham, who's an economist, uh, is, uh, is another, uh, have looked at the sale of, or the release of very popular violent video games like the Grand Theft Auto series and, and the Call of Duty series um, and find that those tend to be associated with immediate declines in crime in the U.S. So like little as the next day. Uh, the crime, you know, rate drops uh, significantly, which, you know, and the answer for why that may be is pretty straightforward. It's probably just because these games are keeping young males busy, you know, so they're busy, you know, inside playing the games rather than getting into trouble uh, out in uh, out in public. But yeah. uh, but what we do find is, you know, for sure that you know, there is evidence to suggest that for people who enjoy games and including violent games, um, that they do seem to relax them, you know. So it, in that sense, games and even action-oriented games seem to work more or less like any hobby, that for individuals who enjoy that hobby, it uh, tends to be calming um, and, and relaxing. We've actually had a few studies looking at heavy metal music that have found more or less the same thing. So these are you know, two forms of media that you know, certainly you know, some segment of the population doesn't like, uh, but for people who do like those forms of media, it does actually seem to have a positive social impact on um, their well-being. And I guess, if, I mean, if we could at least delink this this debate from the issue of violence and mass shootings, because there, there may be legitimate issues around video games. Certainly there are some, I, I think, that are clearly intended for adults, not something you want seven, eight, nine-year-olds playing Call of Duty or Grand Theft Auto. And mm-hmm. I mean, kids who might be spending eight, 10, 12 hours a day playing video games, that's probably not healthy either. But I mean, that that's a whole different kind of conversation, isn't it? Right, ab- absolutely. And, that, and it's, you know, it's important to, uh, you know, point out and, uh, and, you know, sometimes Nintendo gets blamed for this for kind of making people think that video games are toys, right? So that they're supposed to be like uniquely for children. But, you know, the reality is, of course, is that just like with many movies or many books, many video games are, de- are designed with adult audiences in mind. And, you know, and then the games will come with a rating on the box, you know, an age-related category and content descriptor. So, you know, parents and grandparents and you know, should should make sure to look at those uh, age ratings. And, if, you know, if they're not familiar, then, of course, you can ask a counterperson if you're at a store uh, to help explain them to you. Um, you know, so certainly, you know, a lot of the games, like the Grand Theft Auto series, certainly is not intended for six or seven-year-olds. And, you know, there, there's no reason that parents should feel at all bad about restricting those games, you know, if they object to them for their uh, for their kids. Um, you know, so that that is certainly, you know, an issue uh, that we should keep in mind. But, you know, also keeping in mind that, you know, being morally offended by the content of something doesn't necessarily mean that that thing is also harmful unnecessarily. I think that's sometimes something we lose track of a little bit is we assume that if something is, is morally offensive, then it also must somehow be harmful, particularly to kids. And, and, you know, that's an empirical question. You know, and at least in that area, this area, that 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 question doesn't seem to be working out in terms of where the data is. And 
you know, and, and, and to the second part of your question, you know, certainly, you know, video gaming, like any activity, should be moderated such that the individual is balancing that with other aspects of, um, you know, things that they need to do. Like, you know, the kids need to get adequate sleep. They need to get exercise. They need to spend time focusing in on schoolwork and spend time with their family, you know, and friends. Um, so, you know, video gaming can be a healthy, you know, addition to someone's life. But, but certainly there are issues where, you know, a small number of people may overdo that activity. Usually people that have some sort of pre-existing mental health concern. Um, but it, but it certainly does happen. And uh, and the things there to look out for mainly is, you know, if you're a parent and you're worried about a kid, seeing your kid play for like four to six hours on a Saturday isn't not isn't really a big deal necessarily. It's more, you know, is the kid's grade slipping? You know, are they expressing unhappiness? You know, are they saying, like, I wish I could cut back, but I can't? Right. Um, you know, are there other significant issues that are going on? And those are really the warning signs that someone might be overdoing when it comes to gaming. Yeah, really important points. Uh, Professor Ferguson, we'll leave it there. I uh, really appreciate your insight on this. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Not a problem. It's always a pleasure. There you go. Chris Ferguson, uh, professor of psychology at Stetson University, has done a lot of uh, research on this question. In fact, enough so, as noted in one story here, in August 2015, the American Psychological Association published a resolution that heavily cited Ferguson's work in an attempt to put down the myth once and for all that violent video games were in any way tied to gun violence. And again, it's interesting because we're looking in the context of what's happened with these mass shootings in the U.S., but there are countries where these video games are consumed at an even greater rate than in the U.S. that don't have these, these problems. But it is also a little odd to me in the American context because, look, I, I think the Second Amendment does matter. So does the First Amendment. So it's odd that in the fall, in the aftermath, of these these mass shootings, right? Well, hang on a second here. We got to respect the Second Amendment. Yeah, well, you got to respect the first too. It's funny how that's much more easily trampled on when it comes to finding scapegoats, because again, you know, the politicians they they might own guns, or they have people who vote for them who own guns. They don't want to anger the gun owners. They don't care about the video game players. <laughs> they don't play video games. These politicians, their constituency, their base, they don't play video games. What do they care? What do they care if some weird, nerdy gamers get, get upset with them? These games are weird and creepy and immoral. Who cares? They're not going to be missed anyway. I think that's the attitude. Uh, but listen, I mean, by the same token, look, we have probably like most households with kids, we have a PlayStation 4. My son is almost 12, plays mostly FIFA 18, NHL 18, that kind of stuff. I remember a few years ago, we first got the PlayStation 3, and it came with the game The Last of Us which I don't know if you're familiar with it. Not a game you want kids playing. And so we're like, well, hell no. We got to keep this away from them. But I'm like, well, I may as well play it. I'm not much of a gamer myself, but it was intense. It was incredibly well done. It was like watching a a really kind of scary movie, but really well done. I didn't feel like I was going to go murder anybody. I mean, if I run into any zombies, I know what to do, but I think I'm okay. 403-974-8255. 403-974-8255. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.